Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher. Today we're looking at comparing ourselves to other people. Comparing ourselves to other people. Looking at what other people have or what they don't have and then reflecting on how we stack up next to them. Podcast 68. That's our topic this morning and our text is Luke 18. I think it's a common thing, don't you? This whole idea of comparing. And, you know, nowadays it's called social comparison theory. Of course, Jesus didn't call it that, but he did teach against it. Social comparison theory is what we call it. Um, But Jesus, long, long, long before, thousands of years ago, uh, pointed out that comparing ourselves to other people is damaging to ourselves, as we'll see in this parable. And also, um, we end up judging things incorrectly. But this whole idea of social comparison theory states that we determine our own social and personal worth based on how we stack up against others. So we can end up making all sorts of evaluations across a a variety of domains. You know, we can compare ourselves in regard to so many different things. I mean, it really depends too on how we define success. So when we're talking about comparison, it depends really uh, where, uh, which country I'm in, uh, my gender, my age, all these things, you need to take them into consideration because we all define success slightly differently. For example, some of us might compare ourselves to others in regard to attractiveness. Or we might compare ourselves, a really common one is comparing your wealth, how much money you have in regard to someone else. Or someone might uh, compare themselves in the sense of their intelligence or their success or their age. Or you might compare your parenting skills if you have children. How, how good a, a parent am I? Or you could compare your marriage or your, your partnership. Well, it might, maybe it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than his, right? Basically, when you compare, basically comparing is it's all about my worth, is dependent on my success. And again, success is however you define it, because if you're 20 years old, you're going to be defining success a lot differently than if you're 90 years old. I mean, you could be, your success could be, you know, you can bake the best lasagna, or you might want to become known as the best in your field of interest. Or you might want to be the best grandparent. I mean, it just depends how you define success. But basically, comparison is always about we're comparing ourselves to other people so that we feel successful or good or right. So here's the parable. Luke 18, Jesus told this next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and look down their noses at the common people. That's Eugene Peterson's translation, by the way. Nice, easy translation. 
If you're just starting off reading the Bible, starting the New Testament, something like Eugene Peterson's translation, that's a good, nice, easy way to begin. So here we have the reason for the parable. We don't always get the reasons for the parables, but we have the reason why he's, Jesus is going to tell this parable. People like to compare themselves to other people. It's not helpful at all. It's a parable about critical judgment and how critical judgment is a barrier to correct discernment. So you can criticize and you can make all sorts of judgments, but is it are they correct judgments, right? Now, the whole idea of judgment or the topic of judgment, Jesus taught more than, well, many times he spoke about judgment. For as long as I judge, for as long as I criticize, for as long as I point out another's faults or weaknesses, I'm completely unaware of my own weaknesses. That's why I think Jesus would speak against judgment a lot. Now, this isn't speaking against, you know, this isn't, he doesn't speak against using common sense and saying what's right and what's wrong. This is just criticism for the sake of criticism. This is just judging just for the sake of it. If you want to judge something and then it moves you to action to do something about, to help the situation, that's great. That's commendable. That's fine. That's good. But just to stand back and to criticize someone just for the sake of it, that's what Jesus says, basically, a waste of time. Because criticism defends me against any inner change. It defends me against any kind of growth or transformation. So Jesus warns, learn how to curb this tendency. Pay attention to it. When you see it arise, pay attention. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we agree with the crazy things people do. <laughs> but it's more, unless you want to get in there and help, uh, criticizing just for the sake of it, waste of time. And damaging, as we'll see. So here's the, here's the parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One man was a respected religious leader. He was from the Pharisee sect. And the other man is a crooked tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collectors. They worked for the Roman government. Remember the Romans, the ancient Romans ruled the land at that time. In Jesus' day, he lived in a time of political upheaval. He lived in an occupied land. And the Romans were there collecting taxes, calling the shots, in charge. And the tax collector worked for the enemy, the Romans. The tax collector, who would be uh, Jewish, the tax collector would uh, collect the tax, and then whatever percent he wanted to add on uh, to keep for himself, then he would do that too. So he's a crook and he's a turncoat. So I think it's important to note that in this parable, 
he's really not a good person, the tax collector. He really isn't good. That's important. So we have these two people in the temple or in what we say the church, the worship space. And uh, so the first one is this crooked tax collector. And then we have this Pharisee coming in. And in Jesus' day, the Pharisee was the most respected, one of the most respected religious leaders in ancient Judaism. The Pharisee came into the temple and he begins to pray to himself in verse 11. And he says, God, thank you that I am not like other people. Thank you, I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers or even like this tax collector. It's like I would never do what he's done. Now, here's the, here's the problem, of course, co common to humanity. He's starting to compare himself. And for as long as the Pharisee compares himself to this tax collector, he comes off as somehow better. And the truth of the matter is, on some levels, he is better. I mean, he is a... This is... It's the, tax, it's the Pharisee that you would want to have as your neighbor, not the tax collector, right? So on some levels, he, he is a good man, albeit a bit conceited. He's conceited. He doesn't rob people. And as he's standing in the temple, he tells himself all the good things that he does right. He prays to God a lot, for one thing. He doesn't rob people. That's good. He's honest. He's fair in his dealings with people. He's not the type of person who would take advantage of you or rip you off, unlike the tax collector. And not only is he honest, but he sees himself as a good husband. I mean, he would never, ever dream of uh, being unfaithful to his wife. That's all good, right? So he's a man who's also very generous when he gives to his church. Now, in those days, they, the ancient people were required to give one-tenth of a specific portion of their produce. And he goes way beyond that and, and tithes everything. So, I mean, he's way beyond the usual amount of... This is the typical overachiever, right? So he's giving a lot away. He fasts twice a week. The ancient people were required to fast once a year. He's gone way beyond everyone else. So we have this picture of a successful overachiever, the Pharisee. The only problem is, when he leaves the temple, the parable tells us that he's not right in God's eyes. In other words, God isn't the least bit impressed with him. He's achieved nothing in God's eyes. He leaves the church and he's not right with God. He's spiritually bankrupt. Why? Well, I guess God isn't impressed with his good deeds. I guess God isn't impressed with all the things that he, he does well. And I think we can guess why. You can keep the commandments or you can be religious and you can do good things and miss the point. He had a proud heart that despised others. You know, this has been a problem with religion for millennium, hasn't it? Religion that's all on the surface. There's no change. There's no love. 
There's no care. There's no inner transformation. There's no change of heart. He's cold. He's cold and he's hard-hearted. The tax collector, on the other hand, interestingly enough, when he leaves, he's right with God. When he leaves. And when the tax collector stands in the worship space, all he says is he stands before, he stands far off, wouldn't even look up to heaven, the parable tells us. He has his head down, he has his eyes down, he's looking down at his feet and he says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't have any time for comparisons. I have really, really messed up. What a mess my life is. And the parable ends with, this is the one who leaves the temple that God is pleased with. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of like this reversal of things. I think one of the things that Jesus is telling us through this parable is, your good deeds, our good deeds, don't really impress God at all if your heart's wrong. It's like if we're cold, if we're uncaring, if we're self-centered, it really doesn't matter how you stack up next to someone else. What God's interested in or concerned about is, is our inner attitude. If our inner attitude is critical and proud, conceited, superior or intolerant, it's like Jesus is saying, you can forget all your so-called good deeds. You can forget that because it just doesn't work this way. It doesn't work this way in the spiritual life. How could you possibly do anything that would impress God anyway? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Henry Nouwen has a nice uh, quote here when he's talking about success. He says, as long as we continue to live as if we are what we do, as long as we continue to live as if we are what we do, what we have, and what other people think of us, we will remain filled with judgments and opinions and evaluations and condemnations. We will remain addicted to putting people and things in their right place. Can we become addicted to putting people and things in what we think is their, is their right place? Yeah, I think so. I think we can. I think we can. I think Jesus is warning against us. Henry now is saying, we don't get our worth by what we do or how well we do it. Which, by the way, is the absolute opposite of North American culture. Actually, in European culture too. Jesus reverses everything. See, our culture teaches us If you make it, if you're successful, if you have money, if you get on in your career, then you're good. Jesus is saying that's nothing to do with that. That's neither here nor there. 
The tax collector, remember the one who actually was not a good person, went into the church, eyes to the ground, looking at his feet, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus is saying, learn a lesson from him. See, whatever else is going on here with this tax collector, here's a man who had some insight into his inadequacy and his lack of goodness at a deep level, his problems, the lying, the stealing, the manipulation, the dishonesty, years of it, years of it, so deep, so ingrained. How could he ever, ever change? How could he ever change? And it it caused him to grieve because he had this insight. It's kind of like, it's almost like he he has to rely on grace because there's nothing else. In the old days, this was called a contrite heart. We hardly use that word now. But a contrite heart is not low self-esteem. If you have low self-esteem, you feel inadequate all the time. But a contrite heart is the ability to admit you're wrong. It's actually the first step in lasting change. It's the ability to admit you're wrong. It's humility. It's it's humility before people or before God. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's about being vulnerable before God. This is what the tax collector's modeling. He's humble before God. He's vulnerable. He's being transparent. He's being truthful. All these things, by the way, uh, bring healing to us. There's no room for comparison here with this tax collector. You know, Jesus said about this condition, blessed are those who weep, for theirs is the kingdom. Yeah, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who have a bit of insight into how they're not doing so well, because they have a chance of change. He said, Jesus said, this tax collector, he left the temple right in God's eyes. Not the good man. The Pharisee that appeared good on the outside, Jesus said, no, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way in the spiritual life. The Pharisee has no hope for change as long as he continues to compare and judge. I mean, why would he want to change if he thinks everything's perfectly okay? I mean, why would he want to change if he thinks that his uh, evaluations are accurate? He's, He's really the perfect example of pride. He's resting on his own accomplishments. Very 21st century thing. Very American, very North American thing to, to thing to do. I am what I do. If I'm successful, I'm good. However you define success, if I parent well, if I get ahead in my field, if I keep my family together, if I provide. Actually, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. They're all good things. But Jesus is teaching that's that's really not where you get your value as far as God's concerned. It's not where you get your value. If you got your value from what you do and your success, how would you ever know when you had done enough? You wouldn't. You would always be striving. You'd always be wondering. 
You'd always be wondering, have I done enough? Am I successful enough? Do I have enough? See, Jesus is teaching that that's, that's not where you get your worth. It's actually grace that helps you and changes you and ultimately heals you. So, okay, well, what's that then? What's grace? What, what does that mean? What is that? You know, it's, grace is like before you do anything, you already have God's love and you already have God's acceptance and you already have God's approval. It's like this, for example, what does a baby do to get love, right? Anyone who's had a baby, what, what did the baby do in order to gain your affection? They're brand new, a couple days old. What did the baby do? And if you don't like babies, choose a puppy, <laughs> choose, choose a kitten. What did the puppy do to gain your affection, to gain your love? Why did you delight over that little pet or that baby? Why? Well, you would just say, well, the baby did nothing. It's just, it's just being. It just was. Baby didn't do anything. She's two days old. I mean, she never had any time to do anything. Well, why do you love her? Because she just is. She's just being being. It's like, exactly. That's the starting point. The starting point with God is being. Why are you accepted? Because you're being. Why are you loved? Well, it's not because you've done anything particularly great. It's because just you're being. That's what it means to be child of God. You're just being. Everything else that you do is extra. But it's really important to get the start right. The starting point is, in our spiritual lives, the starting point is, you already have the acceptance. You already have what you need. You already have what you're looking for. Now, a growing understanding begins to uncover this, layer after layer after layer. A growing understanding, a little insight starts to reveal this over a lifetime's work, right? That's why it's called Amazing Grace. Why? Because it's not about you. <laughs> That's why it's amazing. It's not about me. It's like, wow, really? It's not about it's not about me and what I do? No, no. That's why it's called Amazing Grace. That's where we start. You already have acceptance. You already have belonging. You already have love. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.